As of today, January 25th, 2021, the internet work is recruiting. We're looking for a marketing director, sound editors, and infographic designers. So if you or anyone you know is, you know, a little bit obsessed with podcasts like us, please go to our website and apply today. Now on to our podcast. Welcome to The Intro Network, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today we bring you another episode from our Ask a Fellow series entitled Small Sized Big Disguise, Shedding the Light of Ray on GPA. I'm Zara Morali, a general internal medicine fellow, and my co-host today is Dr. Jennifer DeCruz, an internal medicine resident and co-site lead at Western University. It is our pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Melissa Holdren. So Dr. Holdren, if you can please tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Melissa Holdren. I'm a PGY4 Rheumatology Fellow at the University of Western Ontario. I've done all my training so far at Western, including undergrad, med school, and internal medicine. Awesome. Welcome, Dr. Holdren. So let's start off with a case. So you're asked to see a 30-year-old Caucasian female in the emergency department who comes in with fatigue, difficulty swallowing due to new tongue ulcers, flank pain, dysuria, microscopic hematuria with RBC casts, new purpuric rash on the lower extremity, and ongoing cough that has been treated for a presumed pneumonia. On reviewing her last discharge note, you see that she has a history of relapsing sinusitis infection for almost two years. These have been accompanied with headaches, nasal crusting, epistaxis, left ear discharge, bleeding, and hear loss. She has been treated previously for presumed otitis media with antibiotics and debridement. More recently, she was admitted to the medicine service for a recurrent presumed pneumonia, which she did not respond to antibiotics. Chest x-ray showed bilateral masses, which in her last admission were biopsied. The pathology report is now back, showing acute and chronic interstitial inflammation suggestive of granulatomous process. Ooh, okay, so there's a lot to unpack in that history. Um, I guess the pattern that I'm seeing is that the patient is presenting with both pulmonary and renal symptoms. So Melissa, if I'm seeing a case like this and I'm noticing that pattern, what would be my approach to the patient? Yeah, so when I hear pulmonary renal symptoms, I immediately think about ANCA-associated vasculitis, good pastures disease, and systemic lupus erythematis. Uh, We need to take a broad approach in clinical situations like this, otherwise we could arrive at the wrong diagnosis. So my approach for pulmonary renal symptoms would include, one, from an infectious perspective, I think about mycobacterial infections, disseminated fungal infections, actinomycosis, syphilis, and endocarditis, which can present with embolic phenomenon. From a drug's perspective, you need to rule out cocaine abuse or amphetamine use or other drug-associated vasculitides. From a malignancy perspective, you would need to consider lymphoma, Castleman's disease, and carcinomatosis. From an autoimmune perspective, you need to think of lupus or small vessel vasculitis, which could be split into immune complex-mediated diseases, such as anti-glomerular basement membrane disease, cryoglobulinemic vasculitis, or IgA vasculitis, also known as Henoch-Schulian purpura. From an ANCA-associated perspective, you would think about granulomatosis with polyangitis, also called GPA and previously known as Wagner's, microscopic polyangitis, also known as MPA, and eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangitis, also known as eGPA and previously known as Churg-Strauss syndrome. 
Wow, nice. I totally agree that it's a good start off with a wide differential, but narrowing down a little bit further, what exactly is GPA and how does it manifest? Uh, so GPA, otherwise known as granulomatosis with polyangiitis, is a rare but serious disease that involves inflammation of the body's small vessels. There's inflammatory changes uh, which often occur at parenchymal sites outside of the vessels themselves. Caucasians actually account for 90% of patients with GPA, and the disease affects males and females equally. It's typically diagnosed in middle age, with the mean age of diagnosis being 41 years. Using our case patient as an example, you can see that GPA can have multi-system involvement. It's primarily characterized by upper and lower respiratory tract involvement, as well as glomerular nephritis. Sometimes taking a head-to-toe approach to disease manifestations is the easiest way to think about how disease can manifest. With GPA, beginning with the ears, patients can present with otitis media, polychondritis, and conductive or sensory neurohearing loss. Patients can also have inflammation in the eyes, causing scleritis or uveitis, and it can occur behind the eyes, causing retroorbital pseudotumor, which can cause proptosis of the eye. Nasal crusting, chronic sinusitis, frequent nosebleeds, and both oral and nasal ulcerations can occur. Cartilage destruction at the bridge of the nose can result in the classic saddle nose deformity. CT scans will often show signs of chronic sinus inflammation. Another characteristic respiratory tract complication is narrowing of the windpipe just below the vocal cords, causing subglottic stenosis due to inflammation and scarring. Chest x-rays can show infiltrates in the lungs, which appear like pneumonia, but often don't respond to antibiotics. Sometimes bleeding from the lungs can also occur, called alveolar hemorrhage. Very rarely, you can see cardiac involvement with pericarditis. In this case, the patient appears to be presenting with new kidney involvement, where blood and protein are found in the urine, with the condition being called glomerular nephritis. On her skin examination, we found small purple rashes on the lower extremities, known as palpable purpura. These patients can also experience decreased blood flow to the fingers or toes, leading to Raynaud's phenomenon. It can also affect the musculoskeletal system, manifesting as arthralgias and myalgias. However, it does not cause erosive joint disease. Involvement of the peripheral and central nervous system can occur, with the most common neurologic manifestation being mononeuritis multiplex. Wow, so it seems like these patients experience a plethora of symptoms for a long duration. Um, but it, what I'm wondering about is it, the fact that these symptoms are so wide in range all over the body, and, and they seem a little bit nonspecific to me. So I'm wondering, you know, if a patient comes to me in my GIM clinic, and, you know, I, I would expect that this patient would have sort of pages and pages of their chart of, you know, previous hospital admissions, um, you know, previous uh, symptoms uh, in the lungs, uh, uh, nose, oral pharynx, um, maybe even kidney manifestations, you know, how do I piece all of this together and say, if I'm diagnosing GPA as an internist, um, what types of things would I use uh, if I am wondering about GPA? Um, so like all rheumatic diseases, a thorough history for the features we just described, as well as physical exam, can help lead you to the correct diagnosis. Not only looking for features typical of GPA, but also thinking about your differential diagnosis is key. An ANCA is detectable in 90% of patients with GPA, and it's always important to look for underlying lung and renal involvement. There are American College of Rheumatology classification criteria, but remember, classification criteria are not diagnostic criteria. According to the American College of Rheumatology criteria, 
presence of two or more of the following four criteria will yield a sensitivity of 88% and specificity of 92%. The first is nasal or oral inflammation. This would present as painful or painless oral ulcers as well as nasal discharge. The second is an abnormal chest radiograph showing nodules, fixed infiltrates, or cavities. The third is abnormal urinary sediment. Usually we'll see microscopic hematuria, often with red cell casts. The fourth is granulomatosis inflammation seen on biopsy. Hmm, that's interesting because I would have thought that biopsy would be considered the gold standard for diagnosis, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So are we saying that uh, we don't always need to get a biopsy? Uh, so no, a biopsy is not mandatory as you can make the diagnosis of GPA with highly suggestive clinical and radiographic manifestations along with the positive C-ANCA and anti-PR3 antibodies. A biopsy can be helpful, however, for ruling out mimickers and to confirm your diagnosis. If someone has organ-threatening disease, however, you do not want a biopsy to delay treatment. So if you're confident in your diagnosis, a biopsy may not be needed. If you are getting a biopsy, then the pathologic yield from a surgical lung biopsy is higher, which is 80 to 90%, compared with an endoscopic bronchial biopsy, which only has a sensitivity of 40%, compared to head and neck biopsy, where the yield is quite low at less than 25%. Of course, renal biopsies are only taken if there's renal involvement, which can be helpful to distinguish it from lupus nephritis or good pastures. Yeah, I would have thought the same as Jen, that you, I thought you would need a biopsy as um, the gold standard diagnosis. So that's interesting. Um, but just to take it a step back, um, you know, you mentioned ANCA. I don't think we can get through this podcast without talking a little bit more about ANCA. Uh, you know, we hear so much about ordering it. So can you tell us a bit more about what it is? Yeah, definitely. ANCA stands for Antineutrophilic Cytoplasmic Antibodies. These are antibodies directed against specific proteins in the granules of cytoplasm of neutrophils and lysosomal proteins in monocytes. These are antibodies that detect with indirect immunofluorescent microscopy or enzyme-linked immunoabsorbent assay known as ELISA. There are two major patterns that we see. The first is cytoplasmic immunofluorescent pattern, which is otherwise known as C-ANCA. And the specific protein recognized by C-ANCA is proteinase 3, otherwise known as PR3. Patients with active generalized GPA have a 90% likelihood of being C-ANCA positive, making this a good test. The second is perinuclear cytoplasmic staining, which is otherwise known as P-ANCA. The protein recognized by P-ANCA is often myeloperoxidase, otherwise known as MPO. Note that a positive ANCA can sometimes be seen in other rheumatic disorders. We can also see it in inflammatory bowel disease, autoimmune liver disease, and in infections like HIV, hepatitis C, and bacterial endocarditis. That's a really great review of uh, what we need to uh, order in terms of investigations, as well as some of the symptoms we could expect to find. So it sounds like the main role for internal medicine team is to first rule out infection and other mimickers, and then after which point we should be consider consulting rheumatology. But just for our own learning, uh, what can a patient expect in terms of treatment for GPA? Uh, so the treatment for GPA is essentially divided into two phases. The first would be induction, which is then followed by maintenance. If this is a life-threatening condition, like rapidly progressive glomerular nephritis or diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, you'd want to use high-dose corticosteroids, which are given in combination with either cyclophosphamide or rituximab. 
In our patient, given that she's a young female, there's fertility concerns if we do use cyclophosphamide, so rituximab would be preferred in her. For non-organ threatening disease, the induction treatment is prednisone along with weekly methotrexate. Typically prednisone is tapered after response is achieved. However, this is a very gradual taper going down by 10% of the dose every one to two weeks. Once patients with generalized GPA have been brought into remission, then they should be switched to a maintenance regimen of immunosuppressive medication since relapse is common. Maintenance regimens include combining low-dose prednisone with either azathioprine, methotrexate, mycophenolate mofetil, leflunamide, or rituximab. The duration of maintenance therapy varies. Patients who have been in remission for 12 to 18 months have a 50% relapse rate once therapy is stopped. The five-year survival rate is about 85 to 90%. These patients are typically followed in outpatient rheumatology clinics. We also ensure that they receive prophylaxis against PJP with oral septra for those receiving high-dose glucocorticoid therapy, and this limits the number of sinus infections as well. Appropriate osteoporosis prevention therapy is also started along with cardiovascular risk factor screening, such as looking for diabetes, hypertension, and dyslipidemia, because ischemic cardiovascular disease is twofold higher in GPA. Malignancy screening is also recommended for those receiving cyclophosphamide as the rates of malignancy, most specifically skin and bladder cancer and acute myeloid leukemia are increased. Hmm. I'm really surprised by that 50% relapse rate once therapy is uh, stopped. Uh, that seems like, you know, a very big relapse rate. So it, it makes sense to think about this more in the outpatient context that these patients will need to be on some sort of remission therapy for a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you bring it home for us and tell us, you know, what are the top five takeaway points um, for all the listeners um, with this podcast? What, what, are the, what should they take away about GPA? So I'd say the top five takeaway points would be that granulomatosis with polyngitis may be a small vessel vasculitis, but it's truly a serious condition with significant morbidity and mortality due to irreversible organ dysfunction. Uh, the next would be that a prompt diagnosis and treatment are essential as the median survival for a patient with GPA without any treatment is only five months. Uh, the third would be that GPA diagnosis is made with highly suggestive clinical and radiographic manifestations a positive C-ANCA or anti-PR3 antibody, and with ruling out infection and other mimickers. Uh, the next would be that it classically affects the upper respiratory tract, including the sinuses, the lower respiratory tract, and the kidneys. It can lead to kidney failure if not treated. Uh, once induction is complete, the goal is to maintain remission. Recurrences of disease is common, especially with early cessation of therapy, which is associated with an increased risk for relapse. Okay, well, thank you so much, Melissa and Jen, for the work that you put into this podcast and for discussing this uh, niche rheumatology topic with us. Um, so I, I guess, so if any listeners um, are interested in GPA, first of all, you can go to our website, uh, theintranetwork.com, where we'll have an associated infographic. Um, and our infographic team has actually created a great little uh, GPA man that outlines all the different um, signs and symptoms that you may expect, uh, which Melissa went over. Um, but do you guys have any other suggested resources for uh, those listeners who are interested in looking up a bit more about vasculitis? 
Yeah, there is the uh, Canvask website, which is available online that contains actually a really great resource on uh, different PowerPoint presentations, um, as well as you can request for a PDF textbook copy where it has different approaches to various uh, vasculitis, which is really helpful and very informative. Interesting. And Canvask, is it Canadian based? Yes, it absolutely is. Okay, well, I hadn't heard about that. That's uh, my next stop. I'll download this book and learn a bit more about it. Um, So thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode was written and recorded by Dr. Melissa Holdren, Rheumatology Fellow, and Dr. Jennifer DeCruz, Internal Medicine Resident. The internet work was created by Allison Lay and co-developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This episode was produced by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman's Vantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast medium. This is The Internet Work, and we hope to see you again soon.